Hello, everyone. Welcome to the 455th episode of Constructed Criticism. I am your host, Mason. I'm joined by my co-host this week, Abe Stein. Abe, how you doing? I'm doing great. It's uh, it's the beginning of May, Mason. Did you know that May mm-hmm. is just like... I, do you do you feel like New Year's Eve was like two weeks ago? I yeah, I really do. Uh, you know, at the beginning of the year, I had some crazy stuff happen. I was traveling around, and it's just been like really hard to accept that we're almost halfway through the year already. Uh, it, the time has just been flying. Yeah, when's March the Machine again? Uh, uh, pre- uh, Previews start tomorrow and end Wednesday. At the time of oh, this recording. That's... That's what I love to hear. At least it feels right this time. You know, like like everything feels like it's moving so fast. Yeah. And that's not just magic. Yeah. Yeah, at least everything's in sync. We will be doing our set review episode of March of the Machine. It's a 100-card set, but we're still going to come in and do uh, an episode about it because, you know, all these cards do come into every format. There's been a lot of confusion about, is this just a commander thing? Is this just, like, for standard only? No, it is legal in every format. Uh, and there's 100 cards, and uh, at the time of your hearing this podcast, they are probably all previewed already. Uh, but, real quick here, uh, Spencer is out this week. He's not feeling well, so we hope to see him next week for the March of the Machines Aftermath episode. Uh, and Abe, I know it's a fun little piece of trivia, speaking of time flying, uh, according to my Facebook, it was four years ago today that I came back to Constructed Criticism. Uh and le- like left the even odds podcast and stopped doing that and came here again. So time really flies when you think about that. Four more years. Four more <laughs> years. Well, I'd, I'd re-elect you, Mason. Thanks. Yeah. Well, that's 100% of the votes here today. If Spencer didn't want that, he should have been here. But don't worry. May 1st, 2027, he can have his vote again. But we do have a good show we want to get to today. But first, we want to do Always Improving because it is the main point of the show. And Abe, what was your Always Improving moment this week? Uh, my only improvement of this week was actually just a bit of a realization I had while playing an RCQ on uh, Sunday. I was kind of in a spot where, obviously, they're all Pioneer. Um, and I haven't really played a ton of Pioneer since, I think, since around the the Pro Tour. So, you know, I've, like, kept up with it, and I've, like, played some leagues to start to, like, grow my, uh, my like, understanding base and... and stay in tune with it but it was a really just eye-opening tournament of like i played against some fringe things or like some kind of iterations on existing ideas uh for example like i played against the transmogrify only build of like uh like the kind of creativity shell mm-hmm. it was like a jeskai deck that was doing this with transmog um and it kind of like i could feel like I knew what was going on, but it didn't like click with me that that was actually what's going on. And it was only transmog, not also creativity. So the way I'd side sideboarded for the, for the matchup, like could have really been improved to uh, just take that in consideration. And I was like, wow, I really need to like get in the trenches more and just be more involved. And it was just a good reminder of like how much things do change and how, like while I have been able to succeed by playing playing kind of safe and you know going off a lot of format knowledge, not a ton of changes, um, but really just remind myself that enough things do change that it's important to to make it a priority. Yeah, no, that's a really good one. It, it is funny, especially with a new set, right? Like this is kind of the time where things are at their most volatile, 
uh, is right when the set releases. So that means I guess this time next week is actually the most volatile when Aftermath comes out. But um, yeah, when uh, when you're getting back in the trenches, you know, where like you start playing and it's like something new's come out, or like new ideas have been spurred, right? Like you mentioned. It sounds like that deck doesn't even probably use new March of the Machine cards, right? But it has Transmogrify instead of Creativity. And if you're at home listening, you're like, well, why would that matter? One red pip versus three means you can build your deck to be a lot different, I would imagine. Yeah, it was. I was getting Dovins vetoed, and like, there were the, the mana base was was kind of crazy. But there was just like a bunch of different ways I was getting interacted with, and specifically, like, I couldn't pick up on the fact that their vulnerability would be to more of the interaction that like the creativities get to play around where it's like, Oh, if I just have one answer to a token permanent in my hand, they like can't combo off, but I wasn't able to pick up on that. So. Yeah. It makes total sense. Yeah. That, that's a good one. Uh, my, uh, lesson came from RCQ. I played this weekend. You mentioned they're all pioneer yet. I was blessed with a charity tournament near my house, uh, two hours away, but you know, nearby enough that was modern. Uh, and it was a destination event that was also an RCQ, which was really cool to go out there and get to play that event. And my moment came from in the top eight. I was playing against uh, Living End, and I was on the draw in game one. Uh, and I, like, open up my opening hand, and I have, like, two lands, two of my spell pierces, an Archon, and, like, uh, I think an Indomitable Creativity or something like that. And I was like, all right, keep. And I really you know, played my Steam events, and I passed, and then... They played a land, cycled, whatever, you know, living and stuff, passed back to me, and I drew. And I just immediately played the land and passed and didn't take a second to stop and think, wait, am I supposed to skip playing my land drop to move to discard to get this creativity in the graveyard? Not thinking it's going to stop them, but in reality, probably buy me two or three more land drops than actually in turns than playing the land. And I think had I done that, my opponent's hand was fragile enough that they actually kind of kept an all-in, just put like two or three creatures into play with Force Negation backup. And had I had the Archon, uh, I think I would be able to get there because I almost won despite skipping and doing that. And maybe they would wait a little longer to do it. But I think had they done that, I could have positioned myself in a much better spot. And generally, the, the improving moment was really just when you're in these spots when there aren't many decisions, you should stop and think about even the weird ones when you're playing against decks like that that have these weird exploitable things. And... Uh, I should have just taken the time to stop and think about that because I've thought about this before when playing decks like Amulet Titan or something against the uh, Archon deck, but I guess didn't stop and think. You know, I, I, I think a part of that was me being a little lazy, rushing through, and also just feeling a little safe with the spell Pierce, and I should have considered, like, well, how much safer am I if I do this? And so that was my always improving moment. Yeah, it's super important, like, knowing, knowing the, like, weird things you can do to kind of, like position yourself right like, being like oh i can move to discard is important but it's even more important to make sure that you're using that knowledge for something other than like you know matchup trivia yeah 100 percent. that was our always moving moment this week if you want to support the show you go to patreon.com slash c c mtg uh to become a patron the show will always be free but if you felt like you're giving something back uh, if, sorry, if you feel like you got some of this and you want to give something back, feel free to do that. One of the perks of that is you get to ask a question, which we do at the end of the show, and you get to have your name read off when you're here, along with our popping Discord. We have a lot of people in there talking about stuff all the time. And we're going to give a big shout out to Logical and Insanity uh, for becoming a patron this week. Uh, and thank you so much for your support. Uh, let's move on to our main topic, though. Uh, Abe, this is a part two of one that you and Spencer actually did while I was gone at the start of the year. So when we talk about lateral thinking, 
what does that mean if someone didn't hear part one and maybe they want to listen to this and see if they want to go back and why are we doing this one again? Yeah, so lateral thinking uh, is just the best term I think of to describe the process of taking the solutions or things you've learned from other things you've done and applying it to things you are doing, right? So kind of moving information and things that you've learned from other things laterally, right? You already know it, but applying it to a new place, uh, kind of shifting it sideways in your brain to, to what you're looking at now and using that um, as a process to kind of build knowledge and uh, and use what you know more efficiently. Gotcha. So it's like if I knew I could discard my Titan against Living End, maybe I should have known to discard my Archon. Exactly that, <laughs> honestly. Yeah, if you know that a solution to the like, oh, how do I beat Living End with my deck that puts creatures into play, uh, you know, kind of cheats them ahead of schedule, is to just put it in the graveyard so they're cheating it in for me, then yeah, that would have been the exact perfect kind of thing. And honestly coming right coming up with that even of like oh i could move to discard and put it in into play or even in the game being like i should do this those are both perfect examples of the value of applying lateral thinking um and honestly there's so many examples of why and where you can apply lateral thinking that it's kind of why we are um bringing it up again um i know you weren't here for the first episode but it wasn't that long ago it was only like three three months ago maybe that we talked about it but um you know spencer and i both felt like there was just more to say about it and also i feel like it's a it's such a thing that's worth understanding from different perspectives and how to apply it and i feel like the last time we really talked about it in terms of looking at problems and uh establishing problem statements and then working from there which works great for some people but i think that kind of talking about it from a different perspective this time of uh, working from like how to understand your solutions better that you that you come up with or that you see and applying those, how to like break those down and apply those to problems, the process behind that can be another way to really think about it in terms of applying it yourself. Awesome, great. Well, I'm excited to go over this here. So I, you know, you kind of mentioned really quickly why we're doing this but how does this help the listener you know we talked about why this might be important but how is this going to help them in their game to game yeah so the way that this helps you is that i mean something that we have had questions about a lot recently has been um you know like i'm learning a new format or i'm learning a new deck and what's the best way to go about that and let me tell you that there is no bigger shortcut to take than not taking a shortcut at all, but rather figuring out what it is you already know and applying it first, right? But you're able to expand your range of what you're able to do or understand or think about um, so much further when you have that belief and base in yourself that you can, right, you can apply the things you know about playing mono red to playing mono white or playing Jund to playing Red Black Midrange and Pioneer or playing Standard Red Black to playing Pioneer Red Black, right? All of these things, if you approach them all as being completely isolated from each other, will take you a lot longer to understand and to, you know, develop that same skill level that if you don't use the things you already know to kind of 
kickstart yourself and and have that be the kindling for the fire of your of your of your growth and so it really helps you you know streamline your process when you're able to really use this skill um effectively you can like spend a bunch of time not reinventing the wheel it saves you a lot of time in like creative you know thinking when you're able to think about what other people have done and really then you're only thinking about what how it might or might not work or what you can learn from that um and and really it can help you even just overall specifically the process that you know i i think about a lot and follow um really helps you understand just like magic better um or the things you're doing better as kind of a process of how how you try to take things in so mm-hmm. No, that makes total sense. Yeah, like I really like what you said there about avoiding reinventing the wheel, right? Like that's a big thing we talk about, um, at least I do in coaching and, and just in magic in general, of like you don't want to be doing, in some senses, like reinventing the wheel of like, oh, this deck is sort of just like worse Rakdos midrange, right? Where you're playing like worse Modern Green Devotion. Uh, but when it comes to like, you know, having to shortcut your process and streamline it of figuring something out, it's like, oh, well, what did, you know, the Spirits decks do in the past to solve, uh, you know, the Rector's problem, right? You can go and look at that so that when you build your blue-white deck or whatever, it like has some solutions to it, right? And you can see sort of what they've done. Or a similar thing, you know, in Standard where like, oh, uh, you know, Razor Lash Transmogrant, that was a, like, great sort of solution to the Grixis deck. My deck can apply that. It uses black mana, Right. And sort of taking those things and putting it there. And that really helps sort of grow your understanding of like what's going on uh, in these matchups and sort of how to tackle them. And then sort of puts you in a better position to succeed long term. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, when I think about like avoiding reinventing the wheel, the example that like comes to mind is thinking about uh, silence when mm. it came to Lotus Field. Um for Atlanta, right, is that, you know, Silence has been a card that combo decks have played in order to beat Disruption when, like, their biggest issue is dealing with permission and, you know, investing a lot of, uh, like, cards into setting up to do the thing they actually want to do. Um, you know, like, the Legacy Storm decks do that all the time. They'll be like, okay, I'll just fire off a Silence, and it kind of either forces my opponent to use their interaction on it great exchange or it resolves and then i can just go combo off and wind up tendrilling them mm-hmm. if lotus field is also a storm deck right that might just be with based on the interaction you're playing against and what you're worried about that might be the best solution and you know it kind of changed the game in terms of how people were approaching lotus field for a long time afterwards so you know you didn't have to go through maybe to understand it was legal you don't have to go through scryfall and be like what's every card i could play that would maybe help with this problem. It's like, oh, you know, Joe's played Magic for a really long time, and he's played a ton of Legacy, too, so he probably immediately understood that Silence solved the problem that he was looking at, you know, because he'd seen it happen a ton in front of him. And and things like that, they'll save you so much time in big things and small things, and and it really just helps. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I love that example. I think that's a great one. And one of the, you know, bigger and weird... I don't know, weird is not the best word, but, like, bigger and, like tonal shifts to like a deck recently i think is actually that when it comes to pioneer which is hard to think about that it's also been like you know nine months ago or something like that now but uh yeah i I think it really helped sort of change the game when it came to like lotus field 
players in general. And, you know, Joe was one of the people, but a lot of people came to similar conclusions for that sort of last round, with this first round of RC there of like, oh, Lotus Field doesn't have to be all tutors. Your sideboard can be things like the silence that are, you know, you're saying we have problems or whatever. Well, this helps solve some of those problems, you know. Uh, and is also just like really good against decks like uh, other Storm decks, right? So the Mirror or like Modern Green Devotion, you know. And applying that card in multiple ways there and understanding everything it can do really helps you succeed at sort of doing this lateral thinking. Yeah, yeah, it's just, there's, and there's there's infinite examples, right? I, there's, if you ask a Magic player how they came up with, you know, where their inspiration came came from for some sideboard choice they made, or, you know, how they knew how to navigate a matchup they hadn't played before, nine times out of ten, I feel like if you ask a really experienced player, they'll tell you about some other matchup they played, where mm -hmm. that kind of was similar to them, and then they kind of played it the same way or they'll describe it in terms of that other thing because it does save you just a ton of brain power when you're you're leaning back on the things you already know and that's really like the one th if there's one thing you take away from it it's that you should really just try to think about what you already know every time you're thinking about a problem in front of you because you might already know the answer 100 so how do you go about getting better at this Abe, and applying this so i kind of said it there like the way that I have always thought about it and really think about just about everything um, is that I try to focus on the why behind the what. So, right, if something's happening, I want to know why it is that it's happening that way. I want to understand, like, what is contributing to it, what's making it so that things are the way they are, right? And that could be, why is it that when I, like, I'm playing Drago, in a control mirror, why is it the land drops are really important? Or what's the important part about that? What is leading to then that giving me an advantage? If I can understand that, then I can know a bunch of other things about the value of, in that case, like the man advantage or the value of, you know, card advantage in depending on what the resource is when it comes to magic. But it can also be like, why is it better to spend all of your mana every turn just about right? Like, if I understand why that is, then I can understand how to deviate from that or why it matters to be able to deviate from that. And when you boil everything down, you start making everything about and understanding why it is that you're doing it or why it is it's happening um, or why it is it's working or not working. You're really building a deep, deep wealth of knowledge that you can use to look at then another problem, right? Something new that comes up in front of you, ask yourself why it happens. Um, you know, if you can figure that out, then you're like, well, that kind of sounds like, uh, you know, this other problem I've encountered. That kind of sounds like, right? Like, oh, people are interacting with Lotus Field and you kind of have to invest too much to go off. And then, uh, or like, you know, and I need another way to, to fight through that that doesn't cost much of mana. Oh, well, what if I just silence my opponent, right? You don't have to reinvent the wheel, and you also, you looked at it, you established the problem, you looked at the solutions you've thought of before, or you've seen before for similar problems, because you now understand what the problem is, and you just, it, it just clicks for you, right? Like, that is such a powerful thing, and if you really spend time and effort focusing on, you know, why it is things are happening, and something that I have done for a while, and I encourage a lot of my coaching clients to do, is when they're doing anything trying to grow their skill set um, is to like spend time 
writing it out and explaining it out loud, you know, putting it in a term that you are verbalizing so that you really make sure you understand it. And then you can also discuss it with people, right? You can communicate it because in this case, when it's all about the why, there's not always going to be one clear cut why or determining that it's not always going to be um, so cut and dry. And you're going to get a lot out of thinking outside the box and understanding it from a theory perspective. And that's going to mean, you know, putting that time in and talking about it that way um, and being able to, because when you have those conversations, then you're also going to get the benefit of the people around you who will have their own experiences that you can draw from laterally too. So if there's one thing for how you get better at this, I would say it's just understand the why, right? It's the whole teach a man to fish versus handing him a fish. It's like, if you figure out why it is you're doing the thing, if you understand how to fish, you don't need to worry about the what just as much. Yeah, hundred percent. I, I really like um, a lot of what you said there, but I think like one of the things that really jumps out to me is something that we, we talk about a lot about how magic players aren't really efficient with their time, right? And it comes to learning and improving and practicing. So like a great example of how this can be helpful for someone who maybe hears us say that and then is like, well, how am I supposed to like do things that aren't just playing leagues or playing games with friends, right? And it's doing this where it's like thinking about what solutions you can have and applying this time. Abe, what do you think is more helpful for the average person who's kind of struggling right now with their deck or trying to problem solve something? Do you think it's one more league match or do you think it's that 20 of that 30 minutes they could have been spent doing that, trying to solve this problem, looking and talking and discussing these things? It's it's almost always the, the 20 to 30 minutes of thought. Yeah. And it's something that players, you know, it makes a lot of sense, I think, for a lot of people when they first hear it. But sometimes you just got to hear it, and that's okay. That's, you know, lateral thinking. You're applying lessons you're learning from us to yourself there. Boom, bada bing. But, uh, you know, jokes aside, like, that is something that's so helpful. And making a point to sort of figure out, like Abe said, the why behind the what and how these things sort of matter is a huge level up moment for a lot of people in Magic. And I know that once I started thinking about things in the sort of way that Abe's describing, uh, it really helped sort of uh, improve my growth immensely. And made by the time I was spending on magic way more efficient, right? So I, I can use another great example currently from Pioneer. A lot of people are like, well, why is Atraxa so strong, you know, a couple weeks ago when it was first popping up? And like, yeah, I put like a 7-7 seven, seven into play with all the abilities and drew a bunch of cards. Okay, cool. But also the main removal spell deck in the format, Rakdos, was playing a bunch of cards that, you know, powered kill that couldn't kill Atraxa. And then its fatal pushes couldn't kill it. So it's like... Well, what's causing it? It's this card can't even be removed. Once you put it into play, it was unkillable, you know? Now that people are adapting and changing their removal, you're having it, the card, you know, sideboard things, everything's changing, and people are sort of adapting, like, what was wrong with this? And, like, why? And then changing their decks to solve that problem. It's like, okay, well, if I think I can beat this, I just have Go for the Throats or uh, Heartless Axe on my deck. Let's try what that looks like, you know? And we saw players sort of switch like there. And then now Neoform combines some Graveyard Hate is having some problems. And so now if you're that deck, you know, you sort of had uh, – you've you figured out what was the why before and the what. And you can apply it to different situations, right? So, like, maybe your Neoform deck is supposed to play – uh, the Infect Carnage Tyrant, whose name I can't remember, but I'm sure you know, Abe. Uh, is that Tyranivore Rex or something? I think so. I, 
I, I played enough of this limited format that I should know it, but I, I actually just never saw the card. It's like, I don't know, whatever. You could just change up the different seven drops. That's the point I'm getting to. And it's like, while having something like this uh, tracks in your deck is good, you can also have other things and solve problems in different ways. And you can sort of go about and look for these things. And, you know, if you figure out the, uh, the why behind the what, you can start solving problems uh, more efficiently because you know what you're trying to solve for. And that's the main point. Yeah, I mean, there's there's countless examples of of this. I mean, something that uh, like comes to mind for me, especially playing a lot of uh, like kind of both sides of the coin, playing like a lot of like affinity and things like that, or playing a lot of um, a lot of like uh, Jeskai controllers or other fair decks is like understanding on both sides of the coin why is it that I need to prioritize certain things or not, or, you know, what is it about playing kind of a matchup one way or another that changes things? You know, how is it that I'm prioritizing things? How does that kind of trickle down? And when you know why it is that, I mean, think about it, even not in the terms of lateral thinking, but in terms of, uh, you know, making a smart play versus making, you know, what turns out to be a good, but not the absolute correct play, when you're just focusing on your technical play and magic, it's like, if you can't figure out the why behind what you're doing um it you know sometimes just doesn't line up if you're just casting if you're just casting your spells to cast your spells you'll be right a lot of the time because it is just good to cast spells but if you don't know why you're doing something it will lead you to spots where you're doing it wrong and so there's just so much value in understanding it i, I can't emphasize it enough 100 so you know we sort of talked about this a little bit here I want to talk this a little bit more about applying it to your actual magic process because we kind of talked about why it's going to help you, how to get better at this, and we sort of gave some examples, but Abe, what might be some ways to like actually put it into your process like we were discussing today? So the number one thing that, like the way this directly applies to my process constantly is that when I'm looking at a problem that I'm running into, be it a specific matchup be it you know and that means i'm like changing the way i'm building my deck you know i'm looking at sideboard options or you know i'm playing a matchup and i'm not finding much success or i need to find an approach that works um you know using that and just taking time to be like okay i'm gonna boil this problem down to just its parts i'm just gonna look at all the different whys going on they're leading to the what um like a good example of this was back when uh like Yorion was legal and I was trying to figure out ways for Hammer to play the uh the four color matchup and and have success there and I was like okay how is it that I am losing why is it that I'm losing what are the ways that it's happening and and boiling down to that and then be like okay what is it I can do or what are other solutions in the past like what are ways I've seen people beat decks like this and is it that i need to like find a way to cheese them do i need to can i take the game long right like what are the avenues i have available to me and what are the ones that i don't by thinking about all the other ways i've seen people approach um kind of beating decks like this and you know just putting that step in of have i seen this before just taking time to think about what are the other ways i've solved it or i've seen it solved um like for myself in the past with the same kind of problem or in other decks or in other, you know, players experiences that I've seen solving the same kind of problem. It could be that my inspiration for, you know, how to beat red, black in 
pioneer of spirits comes from looking at, you know, merfolk decks from like modern, right? And like how they might board to be, you know, a, a fair deck. Thing, things like that, like you can look in a lot of places for inspiration and you might even find that inspiration if you take the time to reflect on it. But I always make a point of taking the time to reflect on it when I'm kind of evaluating a problem I need to solve. Yep. This is also why like sometimes we'll say things like when you're first picking up a deck, what should you do? And it's like, go read and see what others have done, right? And it, it's like early on, you might not fully know everything and like you might not be like oh why did they do this or whatever but with time it might reflect upon it or you might just remember it where it's just like oh yeah i remember where mason did this where like you know Minguchi did that or whatever and then you're like okay and then you can apply that to your problems that you're facing or you're expecting to face right we're having so there's a lot of different ways that you can go about doing this and sort of breaking it down and figuring out the what's and the why's and looking back on those old lessons can be super uh, helpful and really help kind of push you towards uh, solutions and solve the problem at hand. You know, history is uh, doomed to repeat itself is like a famous quote. And in magic, that that is actually pretty true a lot of the time. A lot of stuff kind of is cyclical and we have similar things arise. And while it might not be one-to-one like it was in the case of Silence for our Lotus Field example, it might be like, oh, this is this generation or this era's silence, you know? It's like, oh, yeah, Bitter Blossom used to be how we beat Jundex. Now we play, you know, uh, Wedding Announcement, you know, like very similar styles of cards produce a I lot mean, of looking at, one thing. Looking at the success of, you know, Green White Toxic when it came out, it was literally, oh, the best decks are all value pile, one for oneing, you know, like big expensive clunky spell. Um, you know, decks and looking at the decks that had kind of seen success before, right? Mono Red had had some big breakout weekends by being the most efficient deck that people were playing. Um, and then Skrelv's Hive was the perfect card to capitalize on both fronts, right? It was it was going to be best accompanied by a bunch of cards that were really efficient, just like Mono Red kind of got an advantage from. But it also single-handedly wore out you know, the way the Grixis decks were built. And if they didn't respect it, which they weren't, they were going to fall apart. And it is no surprise to me that a player with the pedigree um, that Ray has was the one who figured out that just doing this was going to make his deck unbeatable that weekend. And people just could not beat what was going on there. And that is a perfect example of that lateral thinking, right? Knowing that something like a Bitter Blossom would kind of beat up on the the way that decks were working and the way they were understanding and using that understanding of the whys that are going on right why is it that Grixis is really good oh because it has all these one for ones why is it that mono red's really good oh because it's able to get under them by by moving faster it's like oh if we can combine those two weaknesses that we or like the opportunity for mono red and the weakness of of Grixis, you wind up with a deck that kind of defines standard out of nowhere for you know weeks so it really is just, you know, overall that process of applying the whys and and thinking about things in whys, uh, I would say is is just number one. Like it's it's so hard to to understate. One hundred percent, Abe. I think that sort of wraps up our main topic here. Unless there's anything you wanted to say, I really feel like your last statement there hit the nail on the head and sort of what we are going for this week with lateral thinking part two. No, I, you know, and I think that I wouldn't be surprised if somewhere by the time that 500 rolls around, we're already talking about and thinking about lateral thinking part three, because it is just such 
a deep topic and if you really commit yourself to it and you know like make it a thing you want to get better at you will see returns from it in, in a lot of big ways so i hope that to the listeners out there um you know you you listen to this one and you're like yeah this is something i'm gonna i'm gonna pick up and, and try to do mm-hmm. awesome well, that's going to do it for our main topic. Hopefully, you all got something out of that. We are going to do our Patreon question. If you want to ask a Patreon question, go to patreon.com slash ccmtg to support the show. Get to ask a question like Yeoman here did. Yeoman said, did Small Ace Mason ever get his name tag back from Big Mason? If you weren't on social media, uh, I uh, skipped uh, San Diego, the RC, and uh, I know the head judge there, and he put my little tag for qualifying for the RC on the banner they have of me from winning DreamHack Dallas. And uh, to answer your question, Yeoman, no, I did not. I'm hoping John gives that to me when I go uh, down to Dallas here in just literally, Abe, 32 days is when DreamHack Dallas happens. It's so soon. You're going to have to pry the name tag from Big Mason's, you know, sultry gaze. (laughs) Yeah, I'll have to do it. I'll have to do it. You know what's been funny about that is some people have taken their pictures, like, in front of that and then turned it into their uh, Twitter banner like because they're like in the middle of, like I could be the champion thing which is great but also means sometimes when I'm scrolling I see myself or like I'm like is that me <laughs> and it's a really like a uh, weird uh, place to be uh, like always promoting baby that's, that's right Mason brand that's right that's what we're about baby uh, coaching yada yada uh, the other way you can get uh, your question or engagement is by going to youtube.com and leaving a comment or a question uh I'm going to be honest, I didn't go and check the last week's episode beforehand to do this. We sort of scrambled last minute here with Spencer being out the last second. Uh, But, Abe, I did meet a a listener of the show at the RCQ this last weekend, and he asked me a question. And so I'll ask it to you, and I'll also give an answer as well here so we have it for later. And that is, what is the thing that you wish that you could have told yourself six months ago? And I really like it when it comes to magic, you know, because everyone in magic is always like, oh, what do you wish you had known you know, like when you first started, blah, blah, blah. But like, what is a big sort of realization or thing you had in the last six months? And if you need a second to think, I can throw mine out there. Yeah, go ahead and throw yours out there. Okay. Yeah, I did sort of spring this one. That's that's my bad. As I was saying, it, I was like, yeah, I sort of did you dirty there. Uh, no, but uh, my sort of big realization or thing that I wish I had, I would know six months sooner was that when you are going about problem solving in formats with lower power, sometimes the solution is just to stop trying to make a solution and move off the deck, which I know is a little awkward. But so basically what I'm trying to say is when you are having a problem with a deck and you can't seem to figure it out and you've tried a bunch of things, sometimes you just need to put the deck down and wait for something else to come, especially in formats with smaller card pools. You know, we talked a lot on the show when I played Four Color and Modern, I have so many cards, so many colors, I can solve almost any problem that's presented to me in the modern if given enough time to deploy my cards, right? Pioneer, standard, that's not the case. And sometimes you just need to put your deck down and move on. I think I really relearned and put that lesson, uh, like made it like a core thing I know in the last six months. And I wish I'd known that six months sooner because it can save a lot of time. Yeah, I think that my thing that I wish I would have known six months earlier or thought about six months earlier was is the idea that when I have a good idea or I stumble onto something that makes sense and is good, I should take it, I should try taking it one step further. And this is something I learned from the RC where very early on I identified that Liliana was really good 
in a lot of matchups. And as it turned out at the RC, Liliana and Obnixilis were really good because just having ways to generate incremental advantage and like making the game about something like like Planeswalkers and just the permanent play was really strong um, against a lot of the metagame. And Liliana was just so good against so much of the meta that probably could have just been in my main deck. Um, and had I taken time to think about okay, it's not just that I've identified this card that I think people are not playing enough of, and now I'll be playing it, and that's going to be good. It's like, again, looking at the why of, I understand why this Liliana is good. Are there other parts of why it's good that aren't the ones that I'm thinking of that are going on here, like just Planeswalkers being really well-positioned uh, in that standard format? And had I done that, I think I would have come out with a better decklist for uh, for the RC. And just in general, you know, it's, it's something that I've been thinking about a lot in terms of, you know, not being afraid to push the envelope further or discover that right discover that there is too much of the good thing i've stumbled on but if i never explore the good thing beyond just finding out it's good i never find out if it's great i love that one that's a great one well thank you so much for that question and that's going to do it for sort of the main topic there if you like the show uh make sure to follow us everywhere we, we have a twitter accounts at ccmtg that tweets out all the episodes in case you want to miss anything you can follow us on spotify wherever you get your podcasts as well as youtube we mentioned the comments before uh sort of sharing the show and engaging with it is one of the best ways to support the show if you don't uh, want to give money slash don't have the money to give, the show will always be free. Uh, and doing that sort of thing is a great way to sort of help us out there. So like, subscribe, review. Uh, and then once again, if you enjoy the show and want to give back, go to patreon.com slash ccmtg. If you want to find me, you can go to Twitter at Mason E. Clark. You can find me each and every week at Card Kingdom. This week, uh, I'm going to be doing uh, five cards to look out for from uh, MTG Aftermath. So I'm going to have to pump that one out here uh, in a day. But it's exciting with 100 cards all dropping at once. I'm sure there's going to be some stuff to look forward to. Uh, and you can also find me at twitch.tv slash TheMasonClark. And if you're interested in coaching, you can reach out to me via Twitter, like I mentioned before, Mason E. Clark. Or reach out to me via email. My email is MasonEClark at gmail.com. Uh, make sure to put it in your like uh, header or something like that, coaching that way I know it's you. Um, it makes it a lot easier for me to find, etc. cetera. Uh, also, I had some people in the past be like, oh, I didn't want to bother you. It seemed like you're full of coaching. Uh, it's like my full-time job. This is what I do. And so if you were interested or even just, you know, maybe you're not sure and you want to have a conversation, I'm happy to go back and forth and see if it's the right fit for you, even if it's maybe not now and you want to come back. I had that happen when I first started. Someone's like, yeah, I think I won't be ready to go until April. And we just started working together back in April. So happy to do that. And I had some more opening, some more times open up recently. So uh, I have a little bit of more place to fit people in. Uh, if you want to find Spencer, you go to Spencer13H on Twitter as well as here. And A, if someone wants to find you, where can they go? Uh, they can find me over at twitter.com slash more nothings. You can uh, DM me on Twitter for uh, if you're interested in coaching. Um, I do still have some slots available as well as you can email me at more nothings at gmail.com. Uh, yeah, I, I've definitely had that experience of people being like, oh, you know, like, uh, not right now but like just have that conversation if you're interested in coaching at all or you just want to have a little more of a conversation i know that i will talk with you a bit and see if coaching is right for you or where you're at i know mason would love to do it because it's his job um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I i also it's been going really well i was going to say that i had someone reach out and be like hey are you doing fine or whatever it's going good i'm good but i just have more availability so 
Uh, feel free to. Sorry to interrupt you there, Abe, but I've gotten that message. Yeah, there, no, there's always more days, man. You yeah. can always. Being full means that, uh, what, your next, like, two weeks or three weeks are booked? Yeah. There's a fourth week. So, yeah, yeah please keep moving up, Mason. That's all. It's, it's been so awesome to see you go full time, honestly. So, thank you. Yeah. Abe, what did you learn this week on the show? I learned that tomorrow I'm going to learn a hundred new magic cards. No, you're going to learn 50. I, I did not realize. <laughs> I, knew, I know it comes out soon. I did not realize the previews were all tomorrow. And so that I'm going to get nothing done at work or I'm going to be get nothing done when I get home from work. It's just <laughs> going to be all, all aftermath. Yeah. All aftermath all the time. Yeah. Uh, my big uh, sort of takeaway from this episode was just how easy lateral thinking is to convey. I think you did a great job of sort of being direct and to the point. And, uh, you know, if you're looking at our podcast time of the show, we sort of blazed through it here. I think Abe just did a really good job of really getting to the core really quickly and conveying it really well. And I think that I thought it was going to take a little bit longer, but sort of nailed it and did a really good job of being precise and quick with it. So props to you. And I think helped me understand it a little bit better as well uh, in doing that. So thank you, Abe. Anytime, buddy. And thank you, everyone, for listening to this week's episode of Can Strike Chris. We'll be back next week with the set review for Aftermath, uh, along with probably some Pro Tour reactions. The Pro Tours this weekend. Make sure you go to support on Twitch. We want to make sure Watsi keeps doing these things. Let's make sure to show up like we did for the last one. And we'll see you all here for next week for CCMTG.